Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the Adams Mystery Playhouse podcast. Adams Mystery Playhouse is Colorado's only full-time mystery dinner theater. I, of course, am your co-host, Nick Guida, and with me today, my partner in crime, Mon Wills Quayar. Hello, Mon. How are you? Oh, excuse me. I didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> is that is that the sound effect? That's the sound I'm effect. To put, I'm yeah. Supposed to put in. Can you believe it, Marn? Episode seven. It seemed like only last episode we were at episode six. But anyway, <laughs> before I introduce uh, Doug, I want to say, Nick, you know, you're kind of slipping on a couple things. First of all, Allison, my daughter, realized when she was listening to the last podcast that when we were talking about the Bobby Darren song under the or uh, oh, to the what's the name of that song? Beside the sea, beside the sea, da 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 da. I kept calling it Under the Sea, which is from The Little Mermaid, and you didn't even catch that. And then as as I introduce our, our other guest, when I said who the guest today was going to be, my daughter said, oh, one of the originals. So you've got the three musketeers back together again. Oh, who is our guest, Marn? I, I don't believe I've ever met this man. This man? <laughs> yeah. His name is Doug Proctor. I like to call him Dougie. Hi, Dougie. How are you today? Woohoo, I'm doing good. Hey, it's good to be here. Yahoo. I don't have any sound effect. I should have had a sound effect. Darn it. <laughs> Gosh, Doug, when did we meet each other? Was We met, what was it, 83, 1983? That sounds about right, yeah. I remember when I first met you at the, some party over there. You walked in. You were walking onto a yacht or something, but uh, that's when I first remember seeing you. <laughs> What party was this? Yeah, what party was that? <laughs> was that at Mile High Church? That was at uh, Mile High Church, guys. And I, his name's eluded me at the second. Uh, um, at any rate, it was at his house. Jack Castle? Jack Castle's house. And everybody was there, but oh. you, hadn't, I, you hadn't made the scene, I don't think. And you were wearing that camel coat that we always talk about that night. Yeah, yeah. And um, You like that camel coat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It reminded you of one of your first girlfriends. That's right. That's right. And uh, so hence every fourth, we have said that about that coat. But I don't know what we were doing that day, but that was along the, or that night, but that was well, long about the start. Group therapy uh, came together before they were named. And Good all. old group therapy. Yeah. Yeah. God yeah. knows we needed group therapy. What exactly is group therapy? I, believe, I don't believe I've ever heard of this before. <laughs> improvisational comedy group and jack castle got a bunch of us together to write a tv show and he wanted to write it mel brooks style and uh he gathered up what oh the original thing was what dougie like 20 people in this workshop yeah there was yeah probably something like that and then and that got whittled down a little bit to 10 or 8 or something i guess and then the workshop kind of fizzled out and then Group therapy uh, decided they wanted to break away not too long after that, I guess, to do comedy shows. Where did we first do that comedy show? Oh, man, that's a good question. You mean the f the five of us, Dottie, Leonida, Orlinda? Well, not Dottie. I don't think Dottie was there yet. 
Oh, probably Don Ayers, right? Yeah. Yeah, Don yeah, Ayers, right. Rob Burns, yeah. you, me, and Orlinda. Her real name is Orlinda Lusher, but she doesn't go by, she's now a news uh, anchor up in Montana, and she doesn't go by Lusher because that sounds weird on air, so she goes by Worthington, her middle name. And I think those first shows were down at Connolly's Nostalgia on Broadway. Right, that's the one I was I was thinking of. And Rob used to say, well, if there's more in the in the group than there are in the audience, we'll... We canceled the show, mm-hmm. but then we quickly decided we were yeah. going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And those were Wednesday nights down there, I think. Well, first we had Thursday nights, and the crowds weren't too bad. And then Walt switched us to Wednesday nights, and woo, we had a hard time. But remember when we got that gig up in Breckenridge at the Backstage Theater? Right. Yes, I do remember that. It was There were some good times up there. There was some huge crowds. Oh, yeah. Well, not huge, but... At least 40 people. That was a good gig, though. What a nice little theater that was. It's a different space now, but... Oh, it was a beautiful theater. Mm-hmm. And nice and intimate, good acoustics. And we went up there every Thursday yeah. and Sunday night uh, through ski season, right? Didn't... I think that's right. That sounds right. Those were fun times. Then we got the gig of all gigs. Yes, the gig to be remembered. And you know what that is, don't you? Uh, no, you tell me. You tell me. Those DOD shows. Oh, my gosh. What a what an opportunity to see the world. And there we were, the five of us who got to do that marvelous experience, and we made up group therapy. That was Orlinda Worthington-Lusher, Dottie Leonida, Doug Proctor, uh, Dougie, you were in on that, Rob Burns and myself. And gosh, we did several overseas tours for many years. Dottie was our singer. She was the one who had the voice and she would sing the parodies, uh, things like start spreading mayonnaise and pile the meat all. I want to be a part of it. Mess hall, mess hall. And of course, I'm a terrible singer, but Dottie really could pull that off. What exactly is the DOD. Department of Defense. Da, 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 da. Entertainment for the military uh, bases mm-hmm. overseas. Going to different military bases. We went to Korea, Japan, Okinawa, Germany. Kwajalein. Don't forget Kwajalein. Went to uh, Iceland, Greenland. Mm-hmm. You went to you went to Greenland? Mm-hmm. Yes. It wasn't it wasn't green though. They say that's why they call it Greenland, so everybody go there. Really the place to go was Iceland, not Greenland. I didn't think there was anything to do in Greenland. There isn't. No. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing to do. <laughs> Quonset huts. You sit in the bar and you drink or whatever. There was some strange shows up there, as I recall. Yeah, there were. But do you remember the musk ox? We're riding around. It was October when we were there, so it wasn't like totally covered with snow yet. But I remember one of the sergeants or somebody driving us around in a van, and we come over, and there's like nothing there. No trees, no buildings, nothing but these rolling hills. And we come over a hill, and here is this herd of giant musk ox. Do you remember those, Doug? Yes, yes, I remember that. That was right where they were. They were, uh, there was some kind of a satellite station up there too, wasn't there? Is that what they maintained or whatever? I... So they could listen to the Russians, I guess. <laughs> the doors on those Quonset hut, remember those? They were like two feet thick, no windows, no windows, and like two feet thick of this big steel door because it gets so super cold up there. And boy, when they close that door, wah, and they bring it in. And remember all the Danish contractors and how drunk they got? Yeah, that's that's who we did our show for. And they 
spoke some different language, as I recall. Probably Danish. It was Danish. I think that's right. Good, good call, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew we had done our job when one of them picked up a table and threw it across the room. Then I knew <laughs> we had inspired him. Inspired him. Yeah. Do you remember the pool up there, Doug? I remember the pool, the Blue Lagoon in uh, Blue Lagoon in Iceland. Yeah, well, that's in Iceland, Iceland. But, do you, but but before we get to that, do you remember the pool in Greenland? Because it was so desolate and freezing cold, the military had taken the inside pool at the rec center and, and painted all that tropical uh, mural so you could pretend that you weren't in a freezing, desolate place. I don't remember that. I'm going to be honest with you. You don't remember that? Oh. That's all right. Tell us about the Blue Lagoon in Iceland. Well, the Blue Lagoon was a, um, you know, hydrothermic, what do they call it, when there's the hot water under underground. And it's a big lagoon is what it amounted to, a big pool where everybody would go and uh, soak like in the hot tub and then get out and roll in the snow, which was cold. And I don't think I would do that again, but I did try that. But it was it was really nice. It was one of the highlights uh, on those days. Of going there, yeah, it was it was very nice. I'll never forget when we were in Germany. A guy was trying to sell a bi- a German guy was trying to sell a bicycle to a French guy, and we we were walking around. <laughs> we're on the street. We're you know we're just kind of touring around, and you stop to help this transaction of the bike thing. And of course, you don't speak German and you don't speak French, right? That's right. That's right. And those guys, those guys didn't speak those languages either. And somehow through gibberish, you negotiated that bike sale. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, if they, you know, I guess I fake it pretty good. I got a pretty good fake accent to, uh, to some people anyway. But uh, so, yeah, I was just trying to say what he was saying without knowing what I was saying or something. Does that make sense? Any rate, they figured it out with me as their inter- uh, gibberish interpreter. <laughs> it was a gratifying moment, I must say. But uh, yeah, we had some, some great times. Oh, we had some great times. I will never forget when we were in South Korea. And one day we had the day off because we, we performed six out of seven days. And that would, you know, kind of make it hard to go touring around. But we had a day off. And you said, let's get let's go touring around South Korea. And in those days, in the early 80s, South Koreans didn't speak a lot of English. There weren't, right? Am I right, Doug? That's right. That's right. They spoke Korean, I think. Yeah. I guess they did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, you go, well, let's go touring. Let's go up to this Buddhist temple. And I'm just like, I'm so, I was like, I hope this is safe. And we get on a bus and you negotiated a way that we went all the way up to like this Buddhist temple with a restaurant way up in the mountains. Do you remember that? I remember the Buddhist temple. We walked around. Yes. Speaking of Buddhist temples, all the snakes in Okinawa. Remember going to that Buddhist, um, like a recreated village of what Okinawa in the old days looked like? Yeah. And they had that snake pit with like hundreds of snakes crawling all over each other. (laughs) I don't remember that, but wow. Oh, I do. And speaking of Okinawa, the Marine Training Base up north. (laughs) Yeah. They train them and then they leave. So the only people that were left there were the trainers, I think. I just remember there weren't very many Marines there at the time. And the captain of the base insists that all of us have to do the training 
exercises. Yeah, the zip line. Yeah, the zip line and the, the repelling off of the wall and all of that. Uh-huh. But the zip line isn't just any like, oh, nice little zip line where you're <laughs> over at you know, some cool little tourist thing. No, no. The zip line is way up high and you're supposed to drop in the middle of the zip line into that cold, muddy water. Yeah, you slide Yeah, you slide down and when you get near the bottom, now you got to release at the right time and then you drop into the pool of water that's, like you say, mud. And of course, mm-hmm. that was that was a little dicey there. Several of us, after we did the zip line, we woke up stiff neck for three days, you know, from falling at the wrong time oh, yeah. or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Orlinda had to wear a towel around her neck for weeks just because her neck hurt so badly. From whiplash, I didn't yeah. get whiplash, but what? But I have, you know, some kind of PTSD thing from it because a Marine <laughs> rode with me on the platform, and he, he, I, I didn't want to get off, and he pushed me off into that water. I was like, oh, oh thanks, dear. dude. That was I didn't scary. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted us to swim where you go. Okay, it's barbed wire in that creates that's like a big tube in muddy water, and you're supposed to go swim through the barbed wire underneath the water. And I turned to that captain. I said, I am not doing this. What did he say? Did he say, do you want to be a Marine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Doug, do you remember where we performed at that base? I do not. We performed on the on the loading dock <laughs> because okay. it was the, it was the only raised up area. Yeah, so we're on a on a loading dock, <laughs> and the little I don't know twenty thirty skeleton crew there in fold up chairs at the bottom of the loading dock. Yeah, it's like a oh, four foot stage where they back the trucks up to. We put some chairs out <laughs> where the truck would normally be. All right. I'm opening. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right, you ready for some improvisational comedy? <laughs> Yell out your first name. Yeah, and they're like, F you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do not remember what country we were in, maybe the Philippines, when the naval ship came into port and, and the sailors had been out on the ship for six months or something. They come in to have a leave they proceed to get majorly drunk. And we were doing object freeze, which is the object can be anything except what it really is. Well, they picked up this small trash can. So Orlinda puts it on her head as if it's upside down, as if it's like a helmet or something. And one of the sailors yells out, you look better that way. (laughs) And she was so angry. Oh, my gosh. And then they come over and cut the cord to the sound system. Literally just shut the whole darn system down at that point. I'll tell you, though, that South Korea, when you go up, and am I right, Doug, go up to the border of South Korea and North Korea, yeah. it's that's DMZ. a whole different world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Demilitarized yeah, that's, zone. That's really, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, shocking to see it. You know, it's a, like a reality you don't, you're not at all accustomed to. People don't seem happy there. Mm-mm. I don't know. And the uh, propaganda, or at least in the early 80s, they had huge speakers, giant, tall, 20, 30, 40 feet high, that in Korean, because the North Koreans and the South Koreans speak the same language, apparently, and they would say, our, our bus driver was translating, and 24 hours a day, they're, you know, projecting out this, come to North Korea, this is where 
this is the land of plenty. This is the, but then the buildings that they have sitting there, these huge mansions, that, or it looks like it, they're all facades. They're Hollywood facades. But remember how they called you dog? They thought your name was dog. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't hear the oog and dug, I guess. And of course, they don't really. <laughs> they don't hear the. They don't, they don't hear, hear the. Hear they don't hear the oog. Yeah, somehow or other. Or ug, whatever it is. Yeah. And but so I say, what's your name? Doug? Dog? Your name's Dog? They didn't of course they they didn't think highly of dogs. They would you know. Why didn't you like after the second trip to Korea come up with a different name? <laughs> a fake name. You could have gone by Gary. I just I just avoided telling my name. I'd rather not say is what I would say. I don't know that I up there at the DMZ, it's all special forces, big dudes, and mostly men in the early 80s. I, I don't remember a single woman up there, frankly, except for... Wait, wait a second. Let's, let's clarify this. This was in the early 80s because you made it sound like those guys in the special force. In early 80s. Yeah. Men in their early 80s. Fairly young for you. I understand. Yeah. That's how special they are. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Forces. What did they call that place, Martin? What was this... What did they call that place? Well, they ca- they called it the speed bump. Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Was, they called themselves about. the speed bump, talking so that if North Korea in- invaded, they would just sl- all oh, their whole purpose was just to slow them down. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. But the memories, the places, going to Kwajalein and uh, or maybe no, maybe it was Johnston Atoll, and uh, I- I'll never forget when Rob Burns he'd been a E one or E two in Vietnam, which is kind of the lowest of the low of the ranks. He was just a yeah, was drafted private. soldier. Yeah, private. And remember, we went to that fancy dinner. The generals invited us to, because we were the entertainers. And oh, and yeah. so they yeah. invited us to a dinner. And then Rob turns to me and he goes, I can't believe this. I'm sitting next to an effing general and he's talking to me. I like the fact that Rob Burns didn't have any problem dropping an F-bomb in front of the general. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Good old Rob. Oh, gosh. Of course, most of our traveling, unfortunately, were 18-hour plane rides minimum in the back of a C-30. And folks, if you don't know what a C-30 is, those are cargo planes. They're gigantic, and it is no frills. <laughs> You're not going to be getting a <laughs> snack. You're not going to be getting a drink. You need earplugs. Yeah. You, oh, yeah. You got to have earplugs. Yeah, because it's... Some of those flights were so long, and those trips were so long. And I remember we we were in the Philippines waiting. And, you know, when you're cargo, which is how they they build us, when you're cargo, you may be stuck at an airport for 24 hours before you get on the next plane. And I'll never forget, you're out in the parking lot juggling, you know, because there's like nothing to do, you know. I remember that one time we were going to, I think we were going to Greenland in a C-130 and um, we get to somewhere, maybe you remember this, and they realized there was headwinds. We weren't going to, we weren't going to make it on the fuel we had. So we had to go back. We had to go into Canada somewhere to refuel. Oh man. Made it even a longer, longer trip. I think we went back to Nova Scotia. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, had to hang there. And thus ends that part of this episode with our adventures in improv and the DOD. But now let's move on to the mini-mystery. Let's start with the solution to last episode's mystery. 
Murder in the Swamp. Why was Fordney so sure that Bob uh, was the murderer? You see, it was stated that there were three sets of Bob's footprints on the path. Well, that told Fordney the story. Had Bob been at the house when his friend had been shot, as he said he was, there would have been four sets of his footprints. <laughs> and now let's move on to this episode's mystery, No Way Out. Marn is the narrator, Doug will be playing Inspector Kelly, and I will be Professor Fordney. So here we go with No Way Out. On a battered desk in the small dark room lay a penciled note in handwriting resembling that of the dead man. It said, Dear John, you know the trouble I'm in. There's only one way out, and I'm taking it. You're my pal, and you will understand. Good luck. Signed, Paul. The only other furniture consisted of the chair in which Paul Morrow had been found with his throat cut, a bed, and a highly ornate and apparently brand new wastebasket. It had definitely been established that the dead man had not left the room during the 24 hours before he was discovered. Finishing his examination of the contents of the man's pockets, two $20 bills, a cheap watch, and an expensive wallet in which there was a picture of a beautiful woman. Fordney turned his attention to the meager inventory of the room. That's all we can find, said Inspector Kelly as he pointed around the room. A dictionary, scraps of a letter in a feminine handwriting found in the ornate wastebasket, a pin, some cheap stationery, a few clothes, pipe and tobacco, and a bloody razor-sharp knife. This certainly has all the appearances of a suicide. This door was locked and no one could have left by that window. What do you make of it, Fordney? The professor didn't reply at once. He picked up the photograph, studied it a moment, and then, with a slow, searching look around the small room, said, Better try to piece those bits of letter together. This isn't a suicide. It's murder. I believe you're right. Well, there you have it. What brought Fordney to that conclusion, that it was a murder and not a suicide? I think we'll wrap it up. We had a lot of fun today. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thanks for joining us today. Marn? Doug? Yes? It was fun. Oh, excuse me. And please, tune into our next podcast from Adam's Mystery Playhouse.